Welcome back, wrestling fans, to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, the Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and you're not. Joining us now is the star of the show, Bobby Blaze. What's happening, Bobby? Not much, Professor. That's a great introduction. I appreciate it. I had a pop there, a little Chevy Chase throwback reference. Exactly. Yeah. And you are the professor, as we discussed last week. So, uh, yeah. And this is going to be another fun list, man. I hope this comes over like last week's episode did because uh, when we're talking legit badasses in wrestling, and there's just um, so many names have been kicked around um, through the years, but there just seems that handful that uh, everyone knows these are the guys you do not fuck with. They are legit. They are badasses. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think people be very happy uh, with our list. I hope they are. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to doing this. As always, I'm looking forward to doing this podcast. Well, and, so. and, you know, the thing I have to say about that is, yeah, I hope people are happy with our list. But, um, you know, as Tex reminded me yesterday, our, our own little buddy Jack back there in the IT room, he, <laughs> he reminded me yesterday that since you're a Malenko graduate, that uh, Jim Coronet was going to use you as the shooter in Smoky Mountain should shit ever go down. <laughs> so if somebody does have a problem with our list, you can talk to my buddy Bobby over here, and he'll set your shit straight. Yeah, uh, thank you. Now I'll go out and start getting in fights. I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I happened to catch that, too, and um, I was flattered, I'll say that. And, um, you know, I, I think if the... Uh, uh, ICW had invaded us, you know, back in the day. Um, I think uh, your Pez Watleys, your Bob Wharton Juniors, and, and all the guys that even Malenko worked there at one time. I think all the ICW guys would have stretched me uh, uh, t- <laughs> ten ways to Sunday. But uh, you know what? I think it would be fun because I got to you know watch a couple guys have those matches. And Pez used to tell me about some of the matches that him and Orton would have before they started up. I was uh, really flattered that Jimmy said that. And I appreciate it, of course. I like to say the best thing I can say, I, I was flattered. I had some great, great training and tutelage under the great Malenko with all the guys that came through there while I was there and, and going back over through the years. So appreciate that. No, and that's kind of cool because, I mean, Professor Malenko, he was kind of that last generation where it bridged from shoot wrestling into pro wrestling. So those guys did both. So when you trained with yeah. them, you you really learned. You know, you got the the full the full Professor Malenko went all the way into Bob Rupland sometimes. Some of the older guys, when I'd meet them and tell them that I was originally trained by Malenko before Dean took over, you know, he was always known for conditioning, and also he was able to hook you. So that was the thing too. He he, it wasn't so much that he would shoot in on you or be a shooter per se, like maybe a Rup that would do, you know, the you know had been on the Olympic team or whatever. He was able to take you and able to hook you into these, uh, you know, moves that you just you know pretty much can could paralyze you or snap your bones. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, he was big on that, big on. Uh, the conditioning and him and one of the other people that's going to be on our list today uh always said conditioning is your best hold and so that's one of those things that um these young wrestlers they went out there aspiring to be a professional wrestler always do your conditioning man because he had me he had me like an old machine uh when i got through with his camp i, I mean it was just like a well-oiled machine i should say so yeah but he was the last of that generation that really did uh, probably catch as catch can some besides the professional wrestling you know and and i know we're not making the podcast just about malenko but uh yeah that's a little hats off and a little tribute to him and and i'm glad we got that in there man and uh, he's not one i'd want to cross uh <laughs> i'll tell you that you no. know I, I had respect for him as a trainer but also i you know i knew his reputation 
So uh, I listened to everything he said and tried to absorb it. Never back-talked him or <laughs> questioned anything. Let's just say that I was, a, I was a pretty good student. Like you were saying, we did put out word a night or two ahead of this, and you know this was going to be the topic. And a lot of people did chime back in on Twitter. Lots of names got thrown back to us as like some of the most legit badasses. And again, this is one of those things where guys, we you know, there could be a hundred. We could we could do a top one hundred toughest guys in wrestling, or you know, most badass guys in wrestling. We do top ten lists here, though, so you know, we we have to cut people out. So, Bobby, I don't know yeah. if you want to address some of those before we get started, or how, how you want to go about that. A lot of people mentioned David Schultz, Dynamite Kid, Bad News Allen, several NWA champions. They mentioned Ken Shamrock was name was thrown around a little bit. Um, so yeah, we had a few people that could have easily made this list, and again, it's our our top 10, if you will, the way we do it. And you can hit us up at the hashtag BBBB or the Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter or Jeremy at the Geekish Cast or me at Bobby Blaze 744. Chime in because we, there was a lot of people that had this list real close to probably the one we're going to present to you. Uh, but also, if that said, I left specifically a couple names off that some others had mentioned because I know a couple of them were your honorable mentions and a couple of them were my honorable mentions. And so with that said, yeah, there was a there was a whole bunch of guys that could have made this list. I just named a few that, that I took off the uh, the page there that were turned in. So who were some of your honorable mentions, uh, Jeremy? One I'm going to throw out there right off the top, and it's somebody I think we're still going to have to do a whole episode about bruiser brody i think has to go on a list of most badass people in wrestling any day of the week we're probably not far from people forgetting about bruiser brody he's been gone for a while so i definitely want to you know continue to put his name out there as much as we can you know there's that story of uh lex luger cage and bruiser just starts whipping his ass to the point where luger just bails and asks him later he's like what did i do he's like nothing you know which is i was gonna fuck somebody (laughs) up so it happened and then of course because it's yep. my shout out, I have to give a big shout out to Mr. Don't Fuck With Rick Rude. I don't care who who's telling the stories. Every time you hear hear a story about somebody, you know, ribbing with or fucking with Rick Rude, it usually ends up with them getting knocked to the ground. So well, if you're you Rick know. Rude, I would gladly say uh Mr. or Sir to him. <laughs> uh yeah, so Rick Rude, I've heard a lot of, you know, legit stories about him, so I think you got two good ones. I agree with you on a Brody. Uh you know, we need to keep his name out there um as one of the all time greats and and here he is on this honorable mention list because we want people to remember, you know, uh try to, you know, he's been gone for quite a while away from the scene, of course, unfortunately. But um man, I think you have two great honorable mentions there. Um I'm gonna throw out two uh, the first one I'll throw out is Wahoo. I always heard how tough uh, Wahoo McDaniel was. So that that's one of mine. Mm-hmm. And the other one I want to throw out is uh, Dickie Slater. If I was a Florida boy, I guess you would call me when, when I got to WCW at Smoky Mountain, you know, the, you know an indie guy or, or whatever. But uh, I always sit with the Florida guys because of the Malenko connection we just talked about. But I heard so many stories about how, how tough Dick Slater was. And um, there's plenty of them floating around out there if you want to look them up that, you know, people talk about him flushing a certain superstar's head in the toilet and things like that. And I had to bring all that up. But uh, I had always heard down in Florida, when I was in Florida, and I only met him one time, believe it or not. I used to see him, and I loved his style. I loved his style. But I met him one night at the Sportatorium, and he didn't even work. He just come over, uh, got a paycheck for whatever reason, hit the bricks. Man, and I know we recently lost him. But anyway, I always was a Dick Slater fan, and I, I heard that story about him and, uh, I guess, John 
Matuzak, and he he beat him up to finally so bad that he uh, he slipped a note under his door saying, you know, don't don't whip my ass anymore or something like that. So and Matuzak went on to a big NFL career. Of course, Slater had a great you know professional wrestling career, but just legitimate badass. That's, that's who makes my uh, honorable mention list because I could always see if we wanted to, we could have added uh, Rick Rude and Dick Slater to this, but they've been on other lists, and we've kind of again we have to throw around. We try to make it interesting for everyone. So, like you said, we could do a, a whole show on Brody. Hell, we could do a whole show on mm-hmm. Rick Rude, probably, you know, or any of these guys. And, again, these guys, uh, Brody's been on several lists. Rude, obviously, has been on several lists. And um, uh, Wahoo's been on a couple lists. I don't know if Slater's actually been on a list, per se, but uh, I know for sure Brody, Rude, and Wahoo have. So we mixed it up a little bit. And with that said, do you want to start off with number 10? And I'm going to go with, uh, well, basically Captain America yeah. Kurt Angle is our number 10 spot. Olympic gold medalist. Let's just start there. You you know as well as I do, these amateur wrestlers have to be in great shape, not just cardiovascular, yes. but strength. You know, your core, your legs, your upper body, your neck. I mean, you got to be able to bridge like a son of a bitch just to even be an okay, say, high school wrestler, let alone an Olympic-level gold right. medal athlete. Right. Apparently, he and Eddie Guerrero went into it one night because Eddie was shooting his mouth off or some such. And Kurt Angle kind of mopped the floor with him, and JBL later asked Eddie, like, what the <laughs> fuck were you thinking? The guy's a gold medalist. And Eddie Guerrero just said, what can I say? I get kind of stupid sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah. Angle, he's just, um, I remember when he, when he won the gold uh, in uh, 96, because I was at a show, and it was actually uh, in the back. We were doing a TV taping, and someone had a monitor, and or, and they had it on, and we watched the night that Angle won the, uh, and apparently he had a broken neck when he done that. So, you know, that's that's pretty badass. And he went on to a successful, you know, professional career. Uh, I guess Dory Funk Jr. and Tom Pritchard, so them guys helped him. And I will say this, I've always heard this, and I thought so too because I was a fan early on. He adapted real well, real quickly to the uh, professional style or the pro style, but that was not to take anything away from his outside the ring style. And there's going to be someone that comes up on this list a little bit later on not to give anything away. One of the stories I heard uh, the straight shoot, and I guess it was in Angle's book, and and I, I well, I'm not going to guess because I read it and I saw it in his book. Brock, when he come in, he was talking a little bit of smack about being, you know, a big NCAA champion. So word yep. around a campfire was he was talking smack and. I guess Angle approached him after a couple months. I don't know if it was at OVW, but he was doing some rehab of some type. Walked up to him and his base said, hey, you know, I heard you've been talking some shit about me or, you know, you want to go. Brock supposedly looked, said, he, uh, you know, look, man, I don't, I'm staying here. I don't have any, you know, I have any shoes on or whatever. Cause he was, I guess he was in a socks where he'd been there training. I'm not sure what the story was on that, but basically Kurt just kicked off his tennis shoes and go, well, let's go. <laughs> and, and, and uh, apparently Brock said no. And uh, now that's a different story than Brock now, you know, being an MMA fighter. But uh, that was word around a campfire yeah. that uh, an angle said in the book was there's a huge difference between being an NCAA champion and being an Olympic champion. So I guess that what you talked about, all that conditioning and and just everything, just both of them were such an elite level. And I didn't say it to embarrass Brock, but anyway, because he had popped the floor for me, you know. But he's one of those guys uh, that won't come back to, I'm sure, during his list. But but um, that just shows you how tough some of these guys are that, hell, they didn't want any part of each other. 
you know, so that, that's that was kind of my point that I was trying to make. They didn't want you know, you could talk all the smack you want, but whenever it comes down to it, I talked to a guy the other day, um, legitimate tough guy from this area, and uh, he was talking about a couple guys I know that were legit fighters, and and I did it specifically. I ran into him and brought it up, and he was he told me a couple guys that he thought would whip his ass, and I was surprised. I didn't argue with him. He, it was his. It was just a couple guys we both mutual friends with, and he mentioned a couple. I said, damn. I never would have thought that. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, man, he said, I, I knew one day we was going to go. And he said, I was not looking forward to it. And he said, fortunately, we talked it out. And he said, he would have whipped me. And I said, oh, damn. You know, so some of these guys at this is bad. And that's just guys on the street. But you get to these elite athletes that we're talking about, man. Um, they, sometimes they know, you know, hey. This is going to be – someone's going to get hurt, just like Eddie's saying. I don't know. Sometimes what you say he said, sometimes he gets a little stupid or something. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was paraphrasing, but he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking stupid. What can I say? There you go. You know, so, yeah. so that shows, you know, the uh, the type of toughness that guys that, that are on this list right there. When you start off, you have Kurt Angle all the way up at number 10, and you're going to be surprised who comes in at number 9 uh, because I, I knew this guy was legit badass. Uh, four-time All-American in Oklahoma, football player and wrestler, legit fighter, Dr. Death Steve Williams, man. He comes in at number nine. What do you think about that one? you got to be dealing with a, a, a list of tough sons of bitches for Dr. Death to be number nine. Um, <laughs> of course, unfortunately, what happened to Dr. Death was his reputation got a little bit beat up, but he had a 10-year span where he was undefeated or unpinned. Yeah. I, I can't remember which it was, but Dr. Death was a legit tough son of a bitch. And and his loss at Brawl for All just proves that when you throw a bunch of tough guys together, any one tough guy can lose to another at any point. I was so stoked, believe it or not, when that came out. And from now, from what I've seen on on the Internet, on a lot of YouTube videos, none of those guys, uh, Blackman, uh, the people involved in that, they didn't want to do it. A lot of them were just like, this is this is bullshit. They didn't know what kind of rules it was going to be, you know, this and that. But I was, uh, you know, a, a mark thinking, man, Dr. Death would just go in there and clean clock on everyone, you know. And then we saw what happened. It's just one of those things that, you know, you, at any given time, like you said, you get two badasses together. Someone's going to win or someone's going to get hurt. Or, you know, someone mm-hmm. can get knocked on their ass or whatever the rules or stipulations are. And that's something we'll get into more, too, as we're talking about this. These guys are tough in their own rights, but then some of them are, you know, if if you're talking about a street fight versus a, a wrestling match, if it's just wrestling, or is it catch, or is it MMA? I mean, these guys, we're talking legit badass. We're talking about guys that can do it in the ring and outside the ring, and that, that that's a Dr. Death. That's a Steve Williams for you right there. He, he was someone you just didn't want to fuck with you know uh yeah in my opinion all the things i heard from different people you know he was just not a guy to be fucked with no that's that that is certain the the impression that comes along yeah. with that <laughs> yeah you don't fuck with steve williams all right well let's go on to number eight this guy here was actually one of the first heels i ever cheered for because he was the first really nasty double cross i saw uh-huh. when he when he clotheslined hulk hogan at the end of a tag match and they gave him a pile driver. <laughs> and that's Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, yes. who is a man. I, he's built more like a f- fucking truck than he is a human being. <laughs> 
And even when he was getting on in his career and had a semi-atrophied arm and was wearing flip-flops, he still took a fight to Leon White and got the better piece of the got the better piece of the stick in that deal, which is saying something. I like the fact that the next day he went on national TV and he said to talk about toughness because he he pretty much just broke character and just said toughness is that he just he gave an interview and he just said but that's when you take an 800 pound gorilla and you just punch him in the face and you knock him on his ass and he just he was just that Mister Wonderful doing a shoot type interview because that had just happened I guess uh, you know the day before or what have you but man. I tell you, Paul Orndorff, uh, I had heard that name when I first moved down to Florida so many times because he was known as the Brandon Bull. He was such a uh, hell of a football player and wrestler in high school. And he, he played for uh, the University of Tampa, the Bulls, I think they were. And um, he he was just a bull of a man. He was he was a man built like a, a boy or a young boy, an 18-year-old built like a fucking man back in the day. And I'd always heard legitimate, you know, stories about Paul. Don't fuck with Paul, you know. And um, yeah. if you want to check some of these guys, uh, uh, there's a couple of YouTube videos out there. I guess uh, Tony Atlas does an interview. I can't remember. As Tommy Rich, I don't know what he admits to and doesn't. Paul, he doesn't even uh, say too much anymore about what I've seen some of his interviews about knocking uh, Vader out or whatever. But um, apparently, and Brian Blair's another one. When they come up this way, I guess uh, Tony ran his mouth a couple times, and Paul just said, you know, hey, pull the car over, and um, he beat the piss out Tony Atlas. And I guess Tommy Rich the whole time was, you know, having a couple beers going, hey, you guys need to stop this. And I think Brian Blair was trying to play peacemaker. I'm not sure. And they, they got going down the road again, and I guess Tony started getting Paul said, pull it over if you want. And they are like, no, no one's pulling a car over, you know. And I guess this went on where they went to different uh, – they stayed they're working because back then you just resolve things the way you did but they never went to the same towns together or traveled together again so uh but yeah he just um legitimate badass man that's just not someone you and i say this when you talked about doing the pile driver too when hogan and but i mentioned it in my top 10 we did our top 10 moves and holds in pro wrestling we had the pile driver at the top of the list paul orndorff had one address and i know we're talking you know shoot fighting and street fighting this and that and you probably you know not going to get a guy in a position in the street for a pile driver but man he had one of the best pile drivers in all professional wrestling man it was just he had that jumping pile driver yeah his 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 looked like it would break your neck and you're you're saying that in a street fight you're not going to see somebody get a pile driver i did see somebody get a power bomb in the street fight one oh, time god <laughs> and if, and if you could power bomb him, you could pile drive him just as easy. Yeah, probably. Uh, number seven, we mentioned a little bit earlier, so I just want to put him out there that when I was telling that story earlier, I certainly did not mean discredit to him, but that's Brock Lesnar. And, uh, man, I think everyone knows what a badass he is. I don't know, maybe at that time when Angle called him out on it, you know, he, he wasn't as advanced as he is now cause, because he's advanced himself even more. Uh, with the UFC stuff he does. And also he's so, so damn big and so damn strong. And, you know, I can't imagine it, but I've heard it happens that people still, if he's out, people still want to try, you know, to test a guy like that. You just got to, yeah. To, you get to that point, you got to walk away because you're a professional, you know, and someone has to say, look, you don't, you don't want to do this. 
because he could kill a man. If you're at the bar and you've had one too many and you think you're going to whip Brock Lesnar's ass, you're a crazy fucking nut and you're drunk and you're not thinking or whatever, and you better be glad that someone talked you back out of the bar or out of the building or they at least talk Brock enough to say, hey, it's not worth it, man. Walk away, you know, because one always wants to test someone, but that's not a man that needs to be tested. He is legit badass. Hell of a wrestler. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not crazy about his pro style per se, but um, he's good. He's good. Uh, not taking away anything about that because he is a, he's a good wrestler and a good athlete. He plays some football too, but also at MMA training, he's just he is legitimate badass outside the ring as well. Well, he, yeah, he's he's as big as a house. Yeah, he is stronger than shit. He's got um, the cardiovascular conditioning of a fucking horse, like a championship horse. There, there is no way that you just some you know steel worker walking in off the street are getting your fucking hands on a guy like Brock Lesnar. Yeah, it's just it's not gonna happen. I remember, you know? um, I, I can't remember the guest on Joe Rogan's podcast though. They were doing a thing with DNA and human beings. Joe Rogan used Brock Lesnar as an example of you know we're human beings. And he said, I, every time I've seen him in person, I shake his hand, I speak to him, and I look at how big he is if you just seen in person how big he is how big his hands are how thick he is and he said i can't imagine it was talking species basically and i can't remember the the guest hell it might have been neil tyson uh or someone you know oh, neil, neil deGrasse. Yeah. yeah so i mean someone very intelligent obviously but he goes and i'm looking at this guy going we are the same species and he goes it's it's not right he goes i'm i'm barely you know five nine and this guy's like six six you know and he goes uh and just the size of his body though he's some of his hand size and stuff he goes if you put us together you don't think you know if you're if you're talking to space aliens or whatever you're you don't think you're the same species man because he's that fucking big in person he really is putting them over on size wise yeah combine that with strength and athletic ability and mental fucking toughness you got a you got a damn machine you got a cyborg man <laughs> it, it, there's there's two stories that reminds me of but did you see the latest avengers movie that came out at the beginning of 2018 i did not okay so they find thor floating through space it's the guardians of the galaxy right and so thor's laid out on this table and star lord's standing over him kind of talking shit it's just some dude and uh, drax drax is played by dave batista and he goes, no, you're a dude. That's a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. He That's goes, real good. Yeah. He, he goes, he goes, it's like an angel and a pirate had a baby. Yeah. You're some dude. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, that's real good. That's that's what that reminds me of. That's yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of badass at your bar, but like you said, and no disrespect to the steel worker or the 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 uh, railroad man or whoever that's had one too many. But man, you you don't stand a real good chance against one of these elite athletes. It's just uh, that that is also a badass outside the ring. And so far on our list, I know you're going to give us number six because he was a bad outside the ring. But we have Angle, Williams, Orndorff, and Lesnar. And just tell them who number six is and fill us in a little bit about him. Yeah, well, number six is (laughs) Judo Gene LaBelle. This guy literally wrote the book on pro wrestling finishing holds. I don't know if you've seen this book. I had it in junior high. I love this book because, you know, as you start seeing wrestling magazines and you're seeing these holds out of Japan you've never seen, quite literally, Gene had them in his book. Yeah, I had Uh, that book. I, I did. I actually had that book, too. It was great. All the illustration with Mondo, right? You're talking about the book with Mondo, yeah. Um, yep. Guerrero. 
Yes. yes. Okay. Go continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but man. For people who don't know, and I don't know if we're far enough away from pro wrestling in L.A.'s history for people to not know the LaBelle family name, uh, but Mike LaBelle and his mom ran pro wrestling at the Olympic in, in Los Angeles, and Gene was their troubleshooter. <laughs> Gene was Gene was the guy they brought in when a pro wrestler was getting a little too big for his wrestling britches. Um, Gene was a badass judo guy. He was a boxing guy. He was a stuntman. He was an actor. He also dyed his judo gi bright pink just because nobody could say <laughs> shit about it when he did. Now, there is a story. I don't know how true or how not true or whatever. I'm hoping it's true if you tell them what yeah, I think you and are. I, and I'm going to kind of gloss over some of, the, some of the details as I've read it. But you've all heard the story about Steven Seagal getting his ass whipped by an old man and shitting his pants. That old man was Gene LaBelle, who was in his yeah. 80s. Yeah, Gene LaBelle was not a man to be fucked with. At, still, as yeah. far as I know... He's still alive, and he's still not a guy to be fucked with to this day. <laughs> he still wears his hair Kool-Aid red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone would want to fuck with him. And it's funny because I think when you when, when you you have told that story on this show before, and, uh, and I'm glad you shared it again for our new listeners and our new fans, but when you told it, I had heard it prior to you and I even talking or, or you know, getting a podcast together. So I'm thinking, I used to always think that in wrestling. If I heard this in Knoxville, and then I show up in Tampa and I hear it there, there's a pretty good chance that it's probably true. And I'd heard different stories about, a, let's say, a certain person in ICW that could maybe perform fellatio on herself mm-hmm. or whatever. If I hear that in Ashland and then I hear it in Knoxville and I go to Tampa and someone says, hey, by the way, did you know so-and-so could, you know, uh, suck their own dick? And I'm like, that must be a true story. <laughs> so uh, I know that's a little bit off topic, but that's that's the way you hear things. And so I'd heard the uh, LaBelle, Steven Seagal story uh, from a couple people, and I'm thinking, this must be right. And then all of a sudden on a podcast, you pop it out on us, and I'm like uh, – when you when you told that story, I was like, "Oh God, I've heard this man, so it must be fucking true." I love that book. Mine got chewed up by a dog, so I still have it, but it's 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 it's, it's dog-eared, legitimately dog-eared. <laughs> <laughs> but there's enough you can see some, you know. There's a lot of just just dog-eared. Let's say that. But um, if if you know what we're talking about, there's a book out there, and it's, it's uh, pro wrestling finishing holds. But he also shows you how. You can use them in a legitimate fight, you know, when you a certain chokehold or a certain uh, wrist uh, lock or whatever it is. Uh, and also being, if I'm not mistaken, being a judo man, I think he had a lot to do with uh, Ronda Rousey's training. I don't know how much to a lot. I shouldn't say a lot. But he had something to do with, with some of her training, if I'm not mistaken, before she. Uh, I, I uh, have I have read that somewhere. And, and if, I, if yeah. I remember right, Ronda Rousey's mom is a judo badass, too. She is, and I think there was a tie-in with before she was done. It was a connection between um, Gene LaBelle and Roddy Piper, and they had a press conference of sorts or whatever when she was going to be used in the name Rowdy Ronda. Mm-hmm. And and this this is back in the MMA or UFC days. And I want to say Gene LaBelle was there in some capacity, so I don't know if he was the connection between Piper and her or whatever, but he put her in touch or, or whatever that was. This is all pre-WWE. Um, this is way back, like I said, in UFC. But there is some kind of a tie-in that uh, he had something to do with with her helping her get usage of the name 
Rowdy because he made the introduction, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you can fact check that. Please do and let us know, man. But uh, he, he's still relevant, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If you don't know who he is, he's still relevant. My son started recently watching this, uh, and I saw it years ago, and he'll say, Dad, watch this clip, and it's fuck, uh, Reno 911. And uh, you told me something before the show started. I didn't know it. Would you share it with me again? Because I, I, I wanted to tell you, uh, but I saw, I'll save it to where we're on the air. Because he's like, have you ever seen this show? And I said, actually, I have. He was doing the uh, boot checking or something. And he said, you got to see this. And, and after the show it was on, he started pulling up YouTube videos. But uh, tell me something that you, you was telling me about it. Because I didn't catch it. I'm going to go back and watch some episodes now just to see if I can catch him. Uh, what well, was you told me about There's him? at least one, and I believe more than one episode, where you watch like the old man in the background of Reno 911. <laughs> And it's Gene LaBelle. You know, he's got his, he's got his, you know, his dyed red hair. And he's just kind of, he's kind of playing like a doddering old man on a scooter. Yeah. But it's, it's old Judo Gene just kind of running around in the background there. Right. Cause wasn't he on the Munsters and the Beverly Hillbillies? Oh, he and he's made appearances in all kinds of uh, TV shows and movies of the stuntman. Um, but he's legitimate. And I just wanted to kind of point out that if you don't know who we're talking about, uh, there's a good chance you probably have seen him and, and not realize you've seen him because he's been in a shitload of stuff being out of the LA area. Oh yeah, well let me let me just as far if you hit his IMDb just real quick. Okay. His his earliest uh, TV credit is Route 66 in 1962. Wow. Okay. And you just go up from there, The Monsters, I Spy, The FBI, Seven Women. I mean just everything is on there. He's played, I mean, he still does voice acting. He was in the 90s. He was a uh, guard on the Batman animated series. Damn. He was in Kung, Kung Fu, the TV series. Oh, I mean, he is, yeah, he is just all over the place. Um, you know, just to tell a quick apocryphal story, Gene LaBelle says, and I don't, I don't know third party or not, because I know people that say they were trained by the guy who fought Bruce Lee, but Gene LaBelle says that Bruce Lee came to him to learn more about grappling. And Gene wrestled him down to the floor and held on to him. And Bruce Lee says, let me up. And he goes, no, I'm not letting you up because you're going to punch the shit out of me if I do. <laughs> so so he kind of held him there till Bruce, because Bruce Lee had a fucking temper on him. And Bruce Lee would just lose his shit and beat people till they couldn't talk right anymore <laughs> under, the, under the wrong circumstance. Um, and so Gene held him on the floor until Bruce was like, okay, 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 let me up. I promise I'm not going to hit you when I get up. <laughs> <laughs> and so Gene says after that they became really good friends and they trained together and this, that, and the other. Before we get to number five, I'm going to give us ten through six real quick, just a countdown, and then you give us a uh, a sponsor uh, feed if you don't care. So on our legit badasses of wrestling, we've got number ten, Kurt Angle, number nine, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, number eight, Paul Orndorff, number seven, Brock Lesnar, and as you just now heard, number six, Judo Gene LaBelle. Before we go number five, Jeremy, tell them where they can help sponsor our show at, please. Absolutely. Well, the easiest way to sponsor this show and help both me and Bobby out is to check out Bobby's books on Amazon.com. <laughs> you, you can get to Bobby's first book, Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots Will Travel by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. It takes you right to the Amazon page. You can buy a digital or a physical copy right there. You can also go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 
to get I Kicked Out on 2, The Education of a Wrestler. That would be the easiest way for you to help the show out, but on top of that, it doesn't cost you anything extra. You get two, one or two great books written by the star of our show, Bobby Blaze, about his time as a professional wrestler uh, working for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, WCW, the time he spent on Roddy Piper, uh, the time he and Macho Man slammed <laughs> into each other at a restroom, which is... Bobby, I have to tell you, I tell that story. Oh, yeah. So uh, it is a great story. I love it quite a bit. Um, that would be the simplest way. And I am going to real quickly put together a link for another book. And the link to this one is going to be tinyurl.com slash bbjudogene, which will take you to Gene LaBelle's book, Grappling Master, Combat for Street Defense and Competition which appears to be the updated version of the Finishing Holds book. Nice. So you can check that one out as well. That's i got to tell you guys, if you've ever really looked for a handbook on pro wrestling holds, this is it. This Absolutely. is it right here. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the one. I mean, that's the one to go with. It is an incredible book written by a true master. All right, well, you want to keep going here? You want to tell us who number sure. five is, Bobby? Number five is uh, Danny Hodge. And uh, for some of you younger people, you may not know who he was or who he is. Um, he was in the Olympics two times. Uh, he placed uh, second in 1956 in the Olympics. But he was uh, not only just a, uh, a wrestler, he was also a boxer, a Golden Gloves, gloves boxer, and then eventually had some pro fights. Um, the thing about it was um, he was always famous for his ability to uh, to crush the apples with one hand. And then I think it's uh, J.R., talks about and i'm almost sure he talks about him again in the and in his book uh i know he talks about it, but i can't remember if he talked about this one particular thing he could crush a pair of pliers uh with his hands he could just take a pair of, of, of pliers and crush them he has incredible tendon and ligament strength and that's going to come up again in someone on this list as well but that was one of his his strength was uh uh just just incredible tendon and ligament strength, and he had a tremendous uh, NCAA career, and like I said, went to the Olympics, and they said he was not someone to be messed with outside the ring as well because he had that boxing ability, so if you try to take him down, he could, you know, he could go down with you and, and, and stretch you out, and then if you want to stand and go, you know, strike, he could go strike to strike with you, so from everything I'd heard or read, and I've seen some footage of him in some older matches, um, just legitimate badass and tough guy that, um, you know, sometimes uh, when things got out of hand, he was the uh, designated policeman for uh, certain territories. But there was a wrestler somewhere who was taking advantage of other wrestlers. Bobby, you want to explain what that what I'm saying when I say that? Kind of give us an idea what taking advantage of another wrestler might be in the ring. Yes, when you're having a match, uh, and every everyone knows now that you know you got two guys in there, and you're trying to work, and you're really trying to you can wrestle. Uh, you can shoot some. You can you can you can do some uh, catch as catch can. You can actually do some amateur wrestling versus some some holds and in and out. And you can work with each other. But the main thing is this: when I see you work with each other, you've got a gentleman's agreement per se that you know. Um, I'm giving you my body. I'm entrusting you 
that if you grab me in a headlock or you grab me in a hammerlock, that that yeah, you might be going to be at fifty percent. You may be there's a difference. You know, you work snug, you can work tight, but the fact is, you're giving that person um, you're, you're entrusting them with your body, and so you're hoping um, that you know you, you've got a gentleman's agreement that you know if I go to punch you in the face, I'm, I, I hate punches. So that's a terrible example because you're going to leave a red mark or a black eye or a busted nose. So you know you're going to throw a form to the side of the head, which makes more sense. That when you give me a form, it's going to be a good solid form. You say, oh, that's stiff. That's that's fine. I always like that. That didn't bother me. But when someone takes liberties with you, and that is if I'm giving you my body, uh, and we've got an agreement. And, and you're getting me in an arm bar or a headlock or you're throwing a forearm that I'm entrusting you with that. Even simply picking me up for a body slam that you're going to lay me out flat. Well, sometimes, and there's been many instances where people take advantage of other people and they'll twist that arm a whole lot harder than it needs to be twisted or they'll get them in a legitimate hooked hold. They'll hook them, uh, hold them down, you know, uh, uh, more like what you see in a UFC fight per se, uh, you know, a double wrist take down or a, a super tight headlock or a, a, a leg scissor or in, instead of a forearm to the side of a head, you know, a forearm rider just bash a guy across the face with your with your elbow and split their nose open. It's basically taking liberties means just um, I've trusted you to do, you know, work with me. But in doing so, I've been giving you my body, so I'm feeding you my body. And, 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 and when you take advantage of me, that's taking liberties with me. And that, that's when you, you know, kick me in the knee or uh, you know, grab my balls or, or something, whatever, to put yourself in some kind of advantage after the fact that, you know, hey, I, I thought we was, you know, working here per se. Uh, and all of a sudden you're bashing my head in with a fucking elbow, you know, right in my face. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of ways when you're entrusting someone uh, with your body to get hurt when you are working together. So imagine entrusting your body with another man that's big and strong, as we've talked about earlier in the show, uh, the strength, the agility, athletic ability, and those type things, and he takes advantage of. That's the best way to describe it. really takes advantage of you and hurts you. So Danny Hodge, having witnessed this on several occasions from a local uh, top heel, is booked to lose against that character that night. And uh, so Danny... Does his does his part of the job? He's going to lose to him, but before he does that, he goes out of his way to push the guy until he's winded, to throttle him and stretch him until he's like embarrassed, and then still loses the match. But he put the guy through his fucking paces doing it. That's where that you're talking about that that uh, conditioning. Yes, he could get in there and outrun the guy and outmove him and out everything him. And then, because he was so strong and, and such a good boxer and a wrestler, that he could just out-wrestle him and out-fight him. And without, you know, just completely going into it and winning the, you know, winning when he wasn't supposed to, he just went out and did everything he could to make the guy look <laughs> as bad as possible and then lose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he probably got his ass chewed for it. You know, I'm, I'm sure it cost him. But uh, that's why you don't take advantage of people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and usually every back in the day, a lot of people don't know this, but every area, and we'll be talking about some more tough guys coming up in just a second here, but there, all the areas usually had a policeman, 
and and basically the policeman of the territory was the one you don't want to find yourself booked against because if you're fucking up and doing things you shouldn't be doing like fucking around in the ring trying to hurt someone on purpose uh causing trouble bringing heat down on the boys that's always that was always big back in the day. don't don't bring any fucking heat man you, you know you're getting paid you're you're doing what you like doing you know those type things but everyone uh, every area used to have a policeman say i fucked up and, and, and it's usually someone that don't even know they're doing it, just being an asshole to begin with. Uh, mm-hmm. You find yourself booked against that person, against the Danny Hodge, let's use this example since he's the one we're talking about. And you find yourself booked against them. Either you get your ass beat that night or you get your ass beat every night for the two or three weeks you work with them. But generally it's just that first and second. If it takes a second night, it, you, it generally didn't. But usually after that first night, it was like, man, you know, you better, you get a, you get a, what's called a fucking smarten up jack. You know, it's one of those things where you just got your ass handed to you and you better smarten the fuck up or you're going to be fired or you're going to get hurt or or a bunch of people is going to feel this way. you got a long two or three week uh, uh, schedule ahead of you because you're going to have the policeman in the ring with you every fucking night. And a lot of those guys uh, that did shit like that weren't all that tough anyway because they respected a business and so they didn't do that stuff. So, But once that policeman uh, got a hold of them, uh, a Danny Hodge stretching you out for 15 or 20 fucking minutes and punching you when he wanted to or tying you a knot when he wanted to and, and making you tap and the referee kind of looking at the fans like, oh, I didn't see him tap, you know, whatever it may uh-huh. be. But he got that fucking lesson, and that, that's that's what the policeman was there for is, um, you know, he, he, he kept things under control. And a lot of times if he had to do that, you know, promoter might slip a little bit extra money. Here's a little bit of bonus. Thanks for smarting him up. And it, and it, and it proved good to have that because it prevented a lot of locker room problems and it prevented a lot of problems uh, between the boys that may have had some legitimate heat when they said oh well you know we'll just put you at Danny for the next couple weeks you're like oh fuck you know I fucked up so um, yeah that was Danny he, he was probably being a policeman for that territory you was talking about that just now so yeah that that was one of the, the better versions of these stories because <laughs> it could certainly get a lot worse you, yeah you know yeah um, all right, well, I'm going to move us on to number four. Okay. Uh, which you're going to be familiar with this guy. He's the Barbarian. Yes. So I'm going to run into a little trouble here. The only person besides yourself that I know that has worked with the Barbarian had matches against him just saying praises about what a sweetheart this guy is. So, Bobby, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to defer to you a little bit in talking about what a badass he is. Yeah, you know, Barbarian, first of all, nothing but love and respect for Barb. He's a great, great guy, uh, but he is legitimately a tough guy. He was uh, in a uh, group of 15 teens that got a chance to go to Japan and be trained as a sumo wrestler, along with someone else who will be on this list in just a few minutes. But uh, Barbarian is just a uh, legit badass. Um, he's big. He's strong. Um, man, he's he's just unbelievably strong. Um I saw him back in May, and we still laugh. We used to, believe it or not, he's actually a pretty good basketball player. So we started ribbing each other. We used to play basketball, and um, down in Orlando. And man, you come, to, you don't go down the middle because uh, he's, like I said, he's actually pretty good. But if you come, he doesn't understand the concept of fouls. So if you come down the middle, expect to <laughs> shoot clothesline because you're not going to score a layup on him because he's not going to let you. He'll legitimately give you a clothesline in a basketball game like nothing. But um, yeah, when they was 
uh, doing the movie Body Slam, I guess. Um, apparently, he uh, I know he's a good, clean man now, but at the time, I guess he had had a couple drinks, and, and someone got him right up, and I, I think he jerked the door completely off the, the hinges and tore a door up. And uh, I heard stories about him, you know, just cleaning clock on people. Uh, when you know not to mess with them um i've seen them when the japanese boys come over a lot of times uh they'd put them with him i'm trying not to give too much away with the other person but uh they was they would help these young women extra they'd never hurt them but extra tough on them trying to train mm-hmm. them and teach them and you just knew you better have respect for them the best story i have and i, I get to see barbara and Ray fortune i do i get to see him it's been over a year since I have seen him. I usually can see him once or twice a year. I wrote about him in Pin Me, Pay Me, and you, I'm going to give you a quick quick version of this story. So uh, Scott Flash Norton, he had been on a pay-per-view the night before against Ernest Miller. You know, the whole deal was Sonny Ono was uh, uh, Ernest Miller, and he had this three-time karate champion gimmick going on or whatever. And so I guess uh, Scott Norton didn't want to necessarily put him over but because he's NWO or whatever. But anyway, you know, does whatever. Beats him up per se. I don't know. And from my understanding, you know, he power bombs him and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Well, Ernest Miller, someone the next day at the arena, he got he got he he got his super kick off and, and I guess Scott took the finish from the, the super kick. We get to this building and this is a straight shoot, guys. We get to this building and someone has a big eight by ten color picture and Ernest Miller has the picture and it's his foot kicking Scott Norton in the face. And he's kind of running around, and I'm not trying to bury anyone here. I'll, again, I wrote about this, um, just kind of show you the power of respect. But um, so he's showing people, look at this, look at this, and everyone's going, well, you know, you really didn't do that much in a match. You know, that's the only move you actually got, and then the finish, kind of what you were saying about. Um, Danny Hodge, he just, you know, beat the guy up and then took the pin. And I guess that's what Scott Norton had done. Well, people started talking about a time Norton got there. The buzz was, man, they had him worked up. They were just like, man, Ernest kicked you, and he's bragging about it and this and that. And I mean, I'm not going to tell you what happened in the locker room because I'm not going to try and embarrass anyone. But I'll just say someone was on her knees fucking apologizing. Like, no, I was just joking as a rib, I tell you. Well, Norton, man, he was a big, strong. And I had worked out for him. This is my saving grace right here. I had worked out with him. I knew how big and strong he was. And we used to eat together sometimes. So I was like, because he was the kind of guy that actually sometimes would have a beer when he ate. And I liked that. And so was I. So we'd have a fucking problem with that. Yeah, we'll train hard. We'll eat. We'll even have a fucking beer together. So... Man, he comes into the locker room, and he is hot for like a fucking hour. And I'm thinking, whoever worked with him tonight is getting her ass kicked. And a board goes up, and there's Scott Norton underlined first Bobby Blaze. So I know, oh, shit, I'm the one. <laughs> I am the one. And, man, I'm sitting there. I never forget. I was lacing my boots. And I'm looking, oh, fuck, that's me the night. He is hot. I had seen him get hot before, believe me. I see two people leave the room. They say, Scott, and he follows them. And Barbarian's one of these gentlemen leaving the room. Come back. I mean, I'm sitting there. I come. They come back into the room. Scott does not. And I'm just tying my boots, and I look up, and I, I get the nod from one of them, and I'll mention him in a minute. But as I stand up, Barbarian says, Bobby, have a good match tonight. And um, I just something told me like everything's going to be okay. 
And so, you know, 45 minutes, Nair rolls around. I get up to the uh, gorilla spot that we talked about last week, and Scott Norton comes up to me. He says, hey, don't worry about a thing. We're going to have a hell of a good match. And um, I know someone, <laughs> certain people put the bug in his ear like Bobby wasn't the one running around running his mouth. He can work. You take care of his kid tonight and don't hurt him. And um, and I know for a fact, because I've talked to him in person, and I thanked him for that. I've thanked Barbarian, and I thanked his partner, who we'll get to in a minute. But, uh, yeah, they went out and had a kind word with them. And it's, just let them know, like, you know, I'm a good kid. Don't 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 beat him up. You, you know what I'm saying? They kind of looked. Yep. They had my back. And if you got someone to have your back, this one and the other one who will get to, and I'm probably giving it away. But the fact is, those are two guys you want to have your fucking back. And I'll never forget that. And I, I shared that again with Barbarian about two years ago. I said, man, he was so hot. He go, oh, yes, Scott, get hot. Scott, get hot. And I go, but you guys calmed him down. And actually, I was waiting for him at the gorilla position when I got back and he came through the curtain because he stayed out to do a little promo for the NWO afterwards. And I waited for him to thank him. And I knew he laid me out really nice and flat on a power bomb. And he gave me some offense. But he said, man, he said, that's the best match I've had in two years since I've been here, man. I'm thanking you. Thank you so much. We went to the war room together. And Arn Anderson, as soon as I went in, he said, Bobby, how was it? Was he tough on you? I said, I had no problems whatsoever. Scott was walking right behind me, right up on me. He said, Arn. Book me a fist kid anytime you want. Thank you so much. It shook my hand again. But it was all because, one, I could work. I had his respect. But more importantly than that, one of the policemen of the area, of the territory at the time said, hey, man, you know, Bobby's not to run, run around, run in his mouth. Someone else is. Take your, take your uh, pleasures out of beating a piss out of someone else not this kid tonight for TV, you know. So uh, I never forget about that about Barbarian. But, yeah, he's a great fucking guy, but a legitimate tough guy. And he also had that kind of power to uh, say, hey, yeah, not tonight, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So that's my Barbarian story. But he is a, he is a super uh, strong, uh, super good-hearted man. Um, I know he lives a good, clean life, and he's a man's man. He he just, uh, but don't you don't want to get on his bad side. I could swear on maybe Jim Cornette's one of Jim Cornette's podcasts was that Barbarian would like lose his shit and sometimes like get in trouble or go to jail or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't but, want to bring that up, but go ahead. But but the <laughs> thing that the thing that everybody was really afraid of was his wife finding yes, out. Yes, that okay. was the thing. <laughs> I don't want to bring it up because apparently I don't, I've I, I drawn a blank on her name, but apparently that was, uh, she was the only one that had any, she's the only one that could keep Barbarian in, in control or, or make him make, or straighten his ass out, so to say. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that's what I heard too. If he, if he was afraid of anyone, it was her. That's what it was, maybe. Yeah. yeah. That was, like that, that. Was, was, while you were talking, I was like, wait, wait, wait. I kind of remember something here. Yeah. And I think, oh. I think you're right on a podcast, uh, but, yeah, it's one of those things where he went to jail, and that was the worst thing. Was like when she had to go get him out. It's like, no, nah, that's that's who they they were more scared of her <laughs> than him. So, so maybe he fears no man and one woman. I don't know. <laughs> that so, would that would fit with what story I am kind of remembering. Yes, here. yes absolutely. You're correct on that. Yeah. So, and I didn't even start a timer, but I know we better move on to number three if that's okay, because I have yes. good things and good memories of Barbarian. Uh, number three. NWA champion, legit tough guy, in and out of the ring, Harley Race, man. 
But back in the day that Harley Race was a, a long-serving NWA champion, if you were even considered to have that title put on you, you had to be a badass. Yes. You were sent from territory to territory where the young uh, up-and-comer regionally could try to go into business for himself, double-cross you, and try to win the title in front of his hometown audience. Yeah. So you had to be, in Ron Simmons' parlance, unfuckwithable. While we was doing this list, a lot of people sit in Briscoe, a lot of people sit in Funk. Uh, they sit in some, some NWA champions because I, I think there's some of our you know more truer fans uh, that, that ha, you know grew up watching the NWA and knew what a legitimate tough guy Harley was and also, more importantly, how tough you had to be. Like you said, you had to be a, a tough guy in the ring to take care of business and also protect that belt in the ring and outside the outside of the business. You didn't want someone off the street saying, yeah, I could beat your you know, heavyweight champion. A lot of people could because Harley was a man's man. I've heard stories. I, I've met him a few times, but I, he's another one. When we talked about that tendon ligament strength, and mm-hmm. I, I heard that he had this unbelievable tendon and ligament strength and um, I asked him about it once and uh, I saw him at a show in Cleveland and, and we were talking and, and I've had a pleasure of meeting him several times and, and he, he doesn't meet, know me or anything I know who the fuck he is you know and um, I heard when um, uh, oh shit drawing a blank on a uh, big strong guy uh, Bill Cashmire won the uh, World's Strongest Man several times in the late 70s, early 80s, and he come to uh, the uh, WCW there wrestling. He he was always talking about his grip strength, grip strength. And finally, I guess they passed each other in an airport, and Harley said, you know, hey, I'm right here. And they did the finger lock thing where you put your hands up, and I guess he took him down, Big Bill Cashmire, who is huge. I guess he just twisted his wrist and took him straight down to his knees to where he was begging off. And Harley was the kind of guy that would smoke a cigarette and drink a beer. And I won't mention this guy's name, but I, I mentioned Cashmire because he didn't have such a good career in wrestling, and he wasn't really known as a wrestler. But he just put him to his knees, showing him what kind of fucking strength he had because he never had that look like that. But um, another wrestler, I heard it firsthand it did it to him and several others and i heard this in smoky mountain was uh, over in puerto rico when harley would come in and this again goes with one of them stories i heard it up in canada i heard it in florida and i heard it when i got to wcw and that's one of those stories where when you hear something enough about a guy you know this must be fucking for real but one of the guys in smoky mountain told me that was over in puerto rico man and harley would be sitting at the table and have his arm up, and that's what I'm kind of indicating. I know you can't see through your fucking computer monitor or, or listening device or what have you, but he'd go arm wrestle someone. He'd have a can of beer sitting there and maybe a cigarette, and they'd go up to arm wrestle him, and he'd just fucking take him down like it's nothing because that grip strength, he'd be crushing her fucking wrist. And, you know, he'd, he'd reach over and maybe take a puff of cigarette, and I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying, uh, or he'd just <laughs> pick up the beer and casually go, you know, you want to start now or what? And he just had his grip strength. But he was also known as a police been in several territories um you know he carried a fucking um a stinger where you call him a taser around too so uh you know he he didn't want to be fucked with and and i uh, 
I don't think too many people tried to fuck with him. I'll say that. Um, but he's a legitimate tough guy, and that's why he's number three. And you can add any stories you want, but I've heard nothing but how tough this guy was. And uh, I just heard recently, I can't remember who, again, we put over other people podcasts sometimes on here. But someone said, I wouldn't fuck with him when he's in his wheelchair now. Are you crazy? Yeah. You know, well, so. Guys uh, like Harley Race, they, they're that old man strong. They're yeah. the kind of guy that they ride a train to work and the train get, breaks down. <laughs> They get out and push the train the rest of the way, you know? Yeah. Um, there is a story. I wish I could remember who the other guy was. So Harley goes to whatever territory to face the local baby face, right? And it's a four corners uh, chain match. And the guy tried to pull a quick one off. And Harley, who knew he was supposed to go for three corners, the guy got the fourth and then took the chain off and bounced. Just dipped out of the ring and ran to the back, okay? Ooh. Harley stands up, gathers the chain, jumps out of the ring, walks through the crowd, kicks in the door to the dressing room, grabs the guy, wraps him up in the chain, and then touches all four corners. <laughs> and there wasn't there wasn't fuck all anybody could do about it. Yeah, you know? yeah, I can imagine. No, he's yeah. a legit tough guy, not one yeah. to be fucked with. So, I mean, that's pretty uh, damn tough. And he's number yeah. three on our list, man. That leaves two more openings. You want to announce the next one? All right. Well, number two is Carl Gotch, a man who was who was such a badass that he's actually a god in Japan. Yep, (laughs) Uh, as the god of wrestling in Japan. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Carl Gotch, the thing is. he was legit. Carl wrestled in in the 48 Olympics. Uh, Carl went to the snake pit um, over in England where he became a really tough, legitimate shooter. And, you know, he had an amateur background. He was also a street fighter. He would fuck you up. Um, he was uh, the um, – I met him when I was in Tampa, and uh, I've told a story before, and I, he, he didn't like people. He, he, he learned English from the military, you know, from the U.S. military for during World War II when he was younger. And um, uh, he just grabbed my hand, and he hated guys with long hair because he always kept his hair short and his nails clipped and just a, a gentleman's gentleman, but a legitimate tough guy. And he, he just I, – I met him at uh, Professor Malenko's house. We went all watch the pay-per-view, and, and Carl was there, and he he reached over and goes, Gotch. He just grabbed my hand and went, gotch. When I went, I said, Bobby Blaze, you know, gotch. And it's like, oh, shit, he crushed my hand like I was talking about earlier. <laughs> but he was known for his conditioning. He did like 9,001 Hindu squats one time because he heard some Indian fucking wrestler done like 9,000. But he just fucking turned his TV on. It took him like eight hours or something. And he just fucking started doing Hindu squats until he did 9,001. Uh, he used to do, you know, he was trainer. When he first went to Japan, I think in the early 60s, I know 63, I think was might have been his first tour. It could be wrong on that date, but um, he instantly got over because I liked that style. Um, if you want, I've heard it said, um, and I've seen a couple since then. At the time, I hadn't seen any, uh, and I, they said, well, watch one. Um, I've heard it said, you know, like, uh, and I won't mention the person told me, said, oh, his matches are boring or whatever. It, it was a style. It was a different style back in the day yeah. that they did. So you might not finding find it as highly as entertaining as you would uh, today's product. You would see some legitimate good wrestling. I, I've heard stories and story I can see and tell you that I've heard in Tampa. Uh, I do know that um, 
I guess in Anoki's fight with uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, Carl Gotch was one of his corner men. So that's uh, one of those things where, like, if something goes wrong, uh, Carl Gotch was ready to step in against Muhammad Ali. I guess when they got up there to get the instructions, Gotch had his, uh, like, New Japan sweatpants and his shirt on and this and that, you know. And, and, and again, Carl was known for ungodly strength, even though he didn't lift weights. He'd done push-ups and neck bridges, and he lifted weights for about a year, he said. But um, he was a big old strong guy, man. Apparently, he he pulled his tights out, and he had on his trunks underneath, and he said, just so you know, if there's any monkey business tonight, I'll be handling that. And I guess Ali and whoever else was standing there, you know, like Anoki knew, like, you know, whatever happens, happens, but uh, there'll be no funny business. I think he used the word monkey business. But, uh, uh, again, you know, you hear these things and like, ah, eh, maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. I know he's I know he's a legitimate tough guy, though, and I know you didn't want to fuck with him. When I, when I first met him, again, that was uh, the story I told there where he said, you know, gosh, and shook my hand. He come into the um, – uh, training facility one day and, and Larry looked over and they, they had this relationship, Malenko, and I said that, that on and off again, uh, business partners, respect for each other and this and that. And sometimes they spoke and sometimes they would, you know, be like, ah, best just to keep our distance, business only, you know, kind of thing. And, and Carl comes walking in and he's looking for Jody actually and, um, uh, Joe Malenko and so was supposed to be there. And Carl just walks straight into the facility, but he's focused. He knows what he's there for. He's going to do his business and leave. And and I don't know what's going on. I just heard his name, heard his name, heard his name, you know, whatever. And I was sitting there, and that's after he got past us, you know, Malenko looked over, and he goes, Bobby, that man right there, one tough son of a bitch. And he said, he said, yeah, he said, he's the man. And um, he went over, he spoke to Joe, and he walked out the back door and kept going. And it was several, you know, it might have been a few months later before I actually met him. When I said, you know, he's he's reached over to Gotch, you know, because I was talking about one of Malenko's students, and that's why I was at his house. Where, but but yeah, he was a man. He was a very serious person. But um, but yeah. So first time I saw him, he was very impressive. He was like sixty, probably sixty five years old, and he had this fucking killer physique on him, hard as a rock body. Even then. But um, I guess him and Larry weren't talking at that time, but there was a mutual respect to not, you know, not interfere yeah. with each other's business. And, um, <clears throat> of course, Joe thinks the world of him, that was his basically a second father, and that's who trained Jody. And apparently they had something to speak about, and that was business only, and it was their business. And, and you know, they're, they're grown men when I saw him, and I was like, oh, man. And, of course, the German suplex is named after him, and I do think you can get that on someone out in a street fight if, if you get behind them <laughs> and you've got the fucking hip thrust and the strength. But there used to be at the at the training facility in Tampa, they had all these Japan uh, posters and pictures and things, but there was a beautiful black and white picture, man, of Carl Gosh delivering a, picture perfect and, and and pun intended of a german suplex with a huge crowd behind him and with him doing a beautiful bridge up on his toes and it's got the guy's shoulders pinned and his head's on him i could go on about carl but i want a lot of people didn't like him they thought he was an old crusty bastard and the fact was he was no crusty bastard and that's why he was a legitimate tough guy no one wanted to fuck with him and a lot of people didn't like the way they trained his training style he trained a lot of guys back in the day that went on to become big, big superstars in wrestling because he did train them. Uh, they might not have liked his techniques and stuff, but they sure as hell, excuse me, learned a lot from him. 
And like you yeah. said, in Japan, he's known as a god of wrestling. So number two is Carl Gotch. Carl Gotch's training method was primarily based on Indian wrestlers. Lots of uh, body weight training. Yes. So push-ups, uh, press-ups, Hindu squats, Hindu push-ups. Also, he was Antonio Inoki's biggest inspiration in Inoki's wrestling style. So a lot of Gotch's trainees were the guys that went on to found the original Japanese UWF yeah. back in, in the early 1980s. So you could make the argument that Carl Gotch's wrestling style is the foundation of Japanese pro wrestling to this day. All right, Bobby, so I know you're watching the clock, so I'm going to announce who number one is. Yeah. Um, I wish we had a drum roll because I'd drop it in right here, and that is Haku. Wait, no, I mean yeah. Ming. Yep. I don't know who the fuck Haku is. Ming. <laughs> Ming. What is called Ming, Haku, whatever you want to call him. But, yeah, kind of held off. Uh, we knew that when I was talking about Barbarian, who the other person was. Ming is one of those guys also that's just uh, – he got to go to uh, uh, Japan to become a sumo when he was young. Um, become Ended up becoming a professional wrestler, you know, worked for uh, All Japan and, and – uh, just one of the most legitimate badasses there was to walk the planet. Still is, from my understanding. Um, I was always glad to build his good side. From my understanding, um, there was only two people that uh, Andre the Giant was ever concerned about. Uh, and one of them we mentioned earlier was Harley Race, and the other one was Ming. And that was one of those things that wasn't he was scared of. Him. He respected him, but it was one of those things like he had enough respect for those two men, and they are both on this list, with Ming being number one, that Andre even was like, yeah, okay. You know, and Andre was uh, people, you know, we went over the list. There's been a lot of names. Someone put Andre on one of those lists. Uh, if you didn't want, uh, you know, if, if, hey, boss, if he didn't want to do it, you wouldn't do it, you know, or he did mm -hmm. it or whatever. But apparently uh, Harley, who made our list, and, uh, and also Ming, was another one. They was good friends. I, I've heard interviews where Ming putting over Andre. Uh, so, you know, for, for word to be around a campfire that, you know, uh, Ming was someone that Andre kind of like, eh, you know, you knew he was bad. And there's story upon story, and that was one of the guys also, because I know I'm going to let you go ahead and tell a few stories that we've heard. But uh, one thing was, I know for uh, what I heard early on, uh, if you noticed, wherever Bobby Heenan went, Ming always had a job. And he was in, you know, WWF, uh, WCW, WWE, whatever. Uh, there was always Ming there or a Haku there, and uh, he really liked uh, Bobby, and Bobby liked him, I guess. And if you notice also, there's another one in that, and that's uh, Barbarian. So that's why um, it's good to have policemen. And um, Ming was a policeman when in New York at one time, and also, and I'm not talking a street cop. I'm talking about what we talked about earlier, if you're just joining us. But uh, the same thing with WCW. Uh, you know, you get out there and you fuck around, you fuck around, um, and you find your name on the fucking board against Ming, you know, you better smarten the fuck up because uh, you're not going to do too much with him. He's going to, you know, you're, you're there to either work with him, that's why your name's on the board with him, or you're doing a program with him. But if out of the blue, you know, your name shows up, um, you probably got a long night ahead of you. That's why I used that story earlier as an example. Ming and Barbarian sitting across from me and, and seeing uh, Norton come in fucking singing lockers and going crazy that, uh, you know, I'm tying my shoes going, oh, fuck, my name's on a list against them. And they escort them out very politely. No disrespect. Um, I was probably the only one that caught what was going on. And when I 
came back in. Ming gave me a look and went about his business. But when I stood up, Barb, you know, put his hand on my shoulder. I, I was a lot closer to Barb for the simple fact we stayed in the same hotel and played basketball and this and that, like I said. And he said, Bobby, have a good match tonight. And I knew everything was going to be okay. But, uh, yeah, Ming, uh, man, just one legit badass guy. Tell a few stories you've heard, Jeremy, and we'll go from there. So he's number one. <laughs> no arguing, no no fighting. <laughs> now, there's – you, well, and, okay, and there's so no we, free bird rule. Just let's, no, let's, no one's coming in after this. Ming is, this it. is um, yeah, <laughs> there, there's no way to follow this up. Look, I mean, just go Google just just for shits and giggles. When we get done here, all you all you fans at home, go Google toughest man in wrestling. See who comes up seven times out of ten in the yeah. number one spot. You will find it on YouTube. Matter of fact, I was just listening to a story a night or two ago. Shane Douglas talking about sitting in a bar where a guy kept trying to take a bar stool away from Ming's table. And Ming hit him with the, uh, with the, the, the Tongan spike or whatever, jammed his thumb into the soft spot under the guy's chin behind Death his jawbone. Yeah. <laughs> hit him with that. And Shane Douglas literally says in this piece where he's talking, he goes, I thought this was a bullshit work move. And then he fucking nailed him with it. The guy went up onto his goddamn toes, and then Ming popped three teeth out of his head. <laughs> there are story after story of guys pissing Ming off and him grabbing some shit like that, or, in the worst one I read, bit a dude's nose off. Yep. Just flat bit the dude's nose off. This is not a man to be fucked with. No, no. And I had heard, I think I might have said it, Bobby Booker T. It might be, I think it was actually on Stevie Ray uh, podcast. He he also told that story about seeing him, you know, just get the fucking legit tongue and death grip on a guy in a bar and have his feet off the fucking ground. Kind of a variation of that Shane uh, Douglas story. You know, I don't doubt it happening more than once or that might have been the same night. I don't know. But yeah. it's one of those things where there's too many stories out there that come back, you know, to where, you know, he's just cleaned uh I guess also Jack Daniels or some whiskey or something doesn't mix too well with the Islanders. I don't know because being from Kentucky, I like my whiskey from time to time. But, uh, man, I, I definitely don't want to lose my shit, especially around one of those guys. But, um, no. yeah, I, I don't know why anyone would, but it's one of those things where you keep hearing these same stories where, you know, you're, you're at the bar and you, uh, I've heard Ming himself say he liked country music a lot because he worked out there in West Texas when he when he uh, got a got a good break from all Japan working with the Funks back in the day, and and someone called him a name they shouldn't have called him, and it wasn't his race or nationality anyway, and he just lost it, and it's like you know here he said I was being nice playing pool minding my own business, and and you know that's the way a lot of things start sometimes is is. You know, why go into a bar and see a guy like that and get him riled up? Are you, are you fucking crazy? Are you, you know, is it, I don't know, but there's no reason to ever get a man like Ming fucking fired up, man, because he is going to kill you. And yeah. it's like, I guess it was, uh, St. Louis or Kansas City. I guess the bar fight erupted where it took like eight. I've heard eight. I've heard 12. You heard variations of it. Uh, policemen coming in. One of them had been a former, uh, was legit six, eight, 300 pound former, uh, golden gloves boxer and said he had never been hit that hard in his life. Uh, you know, it took like eight. I guess they tasered him and, and, uh, did this and did that. And I think that's another one that's just, um, 
he he might have feared no man that walked the earth, but I think he may have feared his wife. I think that's another one of those those Samoans. I think they just have so much respect for their family. <laughs> if, if if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. And if I lose a paycheck, then uh, nobody's happy. So uh, I think I think the wives may. You know, I'm not speaking out of school here, but I think the wives kept them in line. Other than that, no one was going to fucking walk over him, and definitely no one was going to walk over Maine because he was a bad motherfucker. And uh, it'd be my guess today that uh, he still is. And I and when I do, if I do see him, I'm gonna have nothing but love and respect for him because he was always so damn good to me and and people i saw him being good too he had a really good good heart and um so uh yeah go look up all the tough guy stuff and everything but also know and i want to say this because we do try to keep the show positive um he <clears throat> when i say it not not saying he's just gonna go around and kick everyone's ass what i'm saying is he he has a heart of gold he was a good good man and it was my pleasure when I got to work around with him or go out to dinner with him or hang out with him, uh, how good, how kind-hearted he was to me. And I would never forget that, and I appreciate that. And I'm glad – I'm getting ready to cough. I'm choking up here a little bit. <clears throat> I'm glad I was never, ever on the opposite end of one of those ass beatings that he gave out around the world <laughs> because I'm sure yeah. he gave out plenty, and he probably still can today, and I still don't want one today. So, <laughs> Ming. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's, there ain't a whole lot more to say than that. Um, you know, this is a list of 10 of the toughest of the toughest. Um, uh, you know, fucking Ming has to come in at the top of that list. Yeah. I, th- there are guys in here just leave me speechless. And you know, somewhere some dumb bastard shot their mouth off too many fucking times to each of these guys. And it is just through willpower alone that there wasn't a room full of dead motherfuckers at the end of that conversation. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's a hell of a list. Uh, Bobby, you got anything to say before we wrap? No, I had another, uh, fun time doing this episode and I just want to say thanks to all the good fans that listen to us and um, I'll let you or Nate take us on from there man because this has been a, and I hope it comes through it came through last podcast we have fun doing this podcast and it's because of you fans and hit us up at the BBBB with the hashtag and um, and, and I, like I said you or Nate take us out it's been another great fun list Jeremy and I appreciate you very much I'm glad you're still with us I'm still glad to be here I'm glad we still got the podcast and can you believe it? We've got this is number thirty, man. We're we're, we're moving along. We're going to make it. Yeah. We've got to make this we're, thing uh, work. Well, they say the podcast that stops stops somewhere in the twenties, and we're past that now. By God! All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, when I say by God, I must be talking about Carl Gotch, huh? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Well. Bobby, thank you for joining us, fans. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back in one week. This has been a fun episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. So for Bobby Blaze and myself, Jeremy, the Professor Vilmer, bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. You can follow the show on Twitter at Bell to Bell Blaze. You can also follow Bobby on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744 and Jeremy on Twitter at TheGeekishCast. To purchase one of Bobby's books, you can visit tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 to purchase Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel. And you can visit tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 to get I Kicked Out on 2, The Education of a Wrestler. To donate to the show's podcast hosting fees, you can visit gofundme.com slash bell-to-bell podcast hosting fees. Be sure to include a hyphen 
in every word in Bell to Bell podcast hosting fees. If you follow and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. Be sure to share the show with any wrestling fan you may know and get on the Facebook page where you can keep up with Bell to Bell fans just like you. Again, thanks for listening to the program and look for the show again next time.